Coming today on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. I think it's also because they don't have true power, that they're not tapped into the authenticity of themselves. And so they have to control the situations around them. So the big questions are these. How can we navigate and negotiate every situation in our lives, in our career, in our businesses, in our relationships, and even with ourselves for our own self-worth? In other words, what if you could win every time and have no losers? Let's face it, we're not negotiating just to buy a car or for a pay raise. We are negotiating for living in every aspect of our lives. How can we do that powerfully, successfully, and victoriously? Those are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Rebecca Zung, and welcome to the time where you negotiate your best life. Welcome to another episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I am really, really honored and grateful to bring you precious Brady Davis. She is truly a Renaissance woman and also somebody who has broken through and broken free from toxicity and bullying and all kinds of incredible things. I mean, she's like, her story is so powerful. You may recognize her name from being the first trans bride on TLC's Say Yes to the Dress, but she was trailblazing from um, her years before that, promoting diversity, uh, advocacy, LGBTQ rights, environmental justice, and more. She's now the author of a brand new book, which we are going to talk all about today, uh, called I Have Always Been Me. It's a memoir, a love story. It's an outreach for marginalized people. This is her song of self-reliance and pride, and it's her invitation for everyone to join the chorus of love and acceptance. So welcome, Precious. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you so much for having me on today. Thank you. And for those of you who are listening, she's radiant and beautiful. I'm like, um, just so, she's stunning, really stunning. I feel the same about you. You look gorgeous. Thank you. Well, uh, you know, we got to do what we got to do, right, honey? Right. Hello. Hello. (laughs) I mean, you know. So, okay. So let's I was telling you a little bit before we got on, you know, about our community of people who are listening here. And, you know, a lot of people are, you know, they're experiencing some tough times, some turbulent times. And you had a really turbulent childhood. I mean, you were in foster care back in Omaha. Talk a little bit about that. And not only that, but you were also struggling with your identity at the same time. So take us back to there. Growing up, I always knew that I was different. And that's why the title of my book is I Have Always Been Me. Growing up, I always have was very sure of, of myself and, and showed up in, in spaces and, and changed the environment, you know, from walking around in my in my sister's shoes, you know, to, to showing up to school wearing wearing my sister's shoes. I was always very, very confident and was a, a gender non-conforming child, even when uh, a shinier mold was not presented to me, you know, at a very young age, you know, from 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 birth, I, I was given up 
by my biological mother and I was put in, in foster care and I was abandoned. Mm. And I knew that as a, a child, but I've always possessed a, a spirit of optimism. It's, it's one of my gifts. I'll never forget going to see my biological mother on a visit as a child. And she was very clear that she didn't want me, that she just wanted my sister. And I'll never forget. Really? Yes. And I remember walking out of that visit saying, I will show you. I remember jumping into the car of the person who brought us there from the state. And I remember pulling the car door shut, looking into the sun, buckling the seatbelt and saying, let me show you. I am going to be the biggest person that you will ever see. And I will make you regret this moment. I was six. I was six in that moment, possessing this natural resilience of not being made lesser from that loss. Where do you think that came from? I think it's one of my my charms. I think it's one of my, my, my talents. And I think that foster kids in general are, are forced to create a natural resilience because at any moment's notice, you might have to go to a, a, a new home, you know, and the, the level of trauma that you experience and that I experienced at a young age, I think I was forced to, to be resilient. Yeah, I mean, I've heard um, Wayne Dyer had talked about that um, as well. You know, before he died, he had grown up in a bunch of different foster homes. And um, he actually even talked about how it, it, you know, totally shaped him. And in his last book, where he's, he, he, um, I can see clearly now, he talked about how he could see clearly now that that actually was like the best thing for him. But you, you also talked about you know, um, how children and teens um, in unfriendly situations, um, you know, what they can do to cope. I mean, so talk about your your teens and your your childhood and, and what it was like to be around other kids. Kids were so mean to me growing up. Kids would would call me queer. They would call me gay. They'd say, you gay, you gay, are you gay? And they would literally corner me in a hall long before I ever self-identified as being a part of the LGBTQ community. Kids would wait for me along the, the walk home. They would shout at me in, in the halls just for me showing up and for me standing in the authenticity of my, my truth. And not only was I, I bullied at school, but I was also bullied at home. I was bullied to be a more masculine, you know, a more masculine version of myself because I displayed feminine characteristics because I was a very feminine child. I remember being in the grocery store and I was walking down the aisle in front of my grandmother and my grandmother said to me, stop switching. And I didn't even, I didn't even know like what switching was. Kids were so mean to me growing up that I didn't even, I didn't even have the bandwidth to focus on learning on what was, you know, being taught to me. I was protecting, I was protecting myself. You know, there would be times that I couldn't even go to the, to the bathroom 
because I felt that I would be bullied if I even went into the bathroom by myself or that I would be, that I would be beat up. And that's also why this book is called I Have Always Been Me because I have always stood in my truth at all cost. Even in that time, I, I would say I'm, I'm just being me. Let me be me. Let me show up. Let me stand in, in my authenticity. And it's my hope that parents would teach their kids to be more accepting of others who, who are not like them. Mm, and so I, I I so identify with you in that because I have talked um, on my show about my own story of bullying because I'm half Chinese and uh, growing up in the 70s and 80s, it wasn't so popular to be a mixed race. And, um, you know, people were being like, what are you, are you a Jap? And, you know, they would like say Hayata, Hayata and King Kong and stuff like that as I would walk by. And, um, you know, and I just wanted to be like normal. I wanted to have blonde hair and I wanted my middle name to be Marie. And, you know, and the funny thing is like now uh, Asians, you know, of course there's the Asian hate stuff that's been happening recently, but there's also like, you know, redneck people that have like Chinese characters on their tattoos and things. And I always, and I think, oh, so like Asians and like, yoga is popular and sushi is popular and all this stuff has become more popular. And I think, oh, but I'm the same. Like, I'm still me. Like, now it's popular. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, I feel that. And yeah, and it's so crazy. Of I had no clue growing up that we would be having a mass societal conversation about trans identity. And that is why I've always been me of, you know, in college, you know, I was documenting my transition without even knowing it. I was one of the first generations, you know, to be on, on Facebook, you know, and to, to publicize, you know, and share our, our lives within our, our social networks. And yeah, that is, that's just so fascinating it um, is, but, you know, I mean, and I talk a lot about narcissism on this show, and I really think that narcissists are just adults bullies. Um, and, you know, I just think, I think it really comes from a place of fear and a, a place of, you know, wanting to control and not understanding and a place of like, oh, here's somebody who's different. So I can like make them smaller. I can feel bigger because I can make this person feel smaller. I mean, wouldn't you agree? I completely agree. I think it's also because they don't have true power, that they're not tapped into the authenticity of themselves. And so they have to control the situations around them and they have to project strength. And it's not true strength. I talk about in, in the book, dealing with a, a relative who came back from Marine Officers Candidate School and the ways in which he bullied me to be more masculine and, and the ways in which he was a, a narcissist and the ways in which I spoke out against that, that I wielded my voice and I said, no, I don't have to listen to you. Who are you? Like, I don't have to be inflicted by your wound. 
And he was inflicting his wound on me because he didn't make it through basic training for Marine Officers Candidate School. And he took all of that out on me and tried to make me his, his pet project. And I talk about that in the book. And I think that you have to, I think you have to address that head on. And for me, I think it's why it's so important to stand in the authenticity of oneself, of be you. I think it's also one of the reasons that I think that we talk about trauma and not just trauma, but intergenerational trauma, you know, trauma that has been passed down, you know, through families and things that haven't been been talked about. For me, I'm not interested in projecting some kind of fake strength. I'd rather it be a, a real strength. I feel that's what makes me the, the largest on the inside, something that that feeds my, my soul. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, obviously, I mean, we all have had this. I mean, so, you know, we, you experienced this trauma as a kid, so did I. And so you kind of take that on as a kid. And yeah, you can say, like, okay, I'm going to show you and whatever, but you still sort of take that on and you still have to like heal those wounds and sort of like start to figure out how to piece together how to become whole or how to feel your wholeness, not to become whole, but actually feel that you, you know, you and realize that you actually are whole and that those people are the ones who are broken, right? And Absolutely. So, and how did you start to piece that together? Uh, I just want to go back and I, and I want to say something about that. There's a reason that I, I wrote this book now. I couldn't have written this book 10 years ago. And so I want to say that that is a process. And each and every one of us are in different phases and, and spaces of our healing. And for me, it was really about being rooted in healing because there were times in my life that I was perpetuating those cycles of trauma that I had been taught. I, I saw them manifest in my life, but given some space uh, away from them and having a chance to look back and being able to identify it, because sometimes we, we don't even identify it until we have some space away from it. It was wanting to heal, you know, and it was hard for me because I talk about in the book saying that some of the memories that came to me, that they were muddied, you know, that they were inherited from, from so many people. And for me, I really wanted to be rooted in, in truth and, and, and honesty so that I didn't have to carry this into the future to, to my children. And for me, I, I wanted to start a conversation about mental health. You know, I wanted to be healthy. You know, I talk about in the book of the trauma of, of holidays for me. Holidays became so traumatic when they came around because they were linked with memories. And so I wanted to be able to, to release that so I could start a new memory, start a, a new tradition. But for me, it's really rooted in, in mental health. I wanted to be sane and stopped and stop reliving, reliving so many of those painful memories. Coming up, more on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zong. I think everyone's path to, to healing is, is very different. But 
for me, it was really rooted in in healing. It was rooted in self-love and in, in, in taking care of myself. I think I also, I found it in community. I think sometimes when you are around community, I think folks can mirror. I think people can hold up a a reflection to you, but I think it it is a journey. And for me, it was moments where I never would have thought would have been a moment of awakening. Are you looking for a feel-good summer read? Well, I've got it for you. The New York Times bestseller, The Lost and Found Summer Bookshop, is now available in paperback. Written by Susan Wiggs, the plot is that after her mother's death, Natalie Harper inherits a charming but financially strapped bookshop in San Francisco and becomes a caretaker for her ailing grandfather. She finds that books provide a welcome solace for her grief and struggle. People Magazine calls the book a feel-good family saga, a charming tale about the silver linings of unwanted detours. It's perfect for readers of Jennifer Weiner, Emily Henry, Elin Hildebrand, and more. It's a great book for book clubs. It's great for poolside, on the beach, at the lake, on vacation, whatever. The link to purchase it is in the show notes. Grab it and get carried away into your summer escape. When it comes to the safety of a child in a divorce case involving alcohol abuse, there is no compromise. Take back power, strength, and truth from the narcissist in your life with documented proof of sobriety. Soberlink's alcohol monitoring system is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide evidence that they are not drinking when a child's safety is at risk. Soberlink's real-time alerts make it easy to negotiate with any party. Judges can rest assured that the child is safe. Attorneys get court admissible evidence of sobriety, and both parents have empowerment and peace of mind. Get an exclusive $50 off your device by emailing info at soberlink.com and mentioning Negotiate Your Best Life podcast. Take a listen to our archive, where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life. And then along the way, uh, met and, and married my now former husband and um, went through a, a pretty, um, you know, ugly divorce. And it was a public divorce. And and um, and that was another pivot I had to do. Like We had a business together. We ran a matchmaking business. We had books together. And then I had to go out and explain that we were doing a business based on love, but fell out of love. And so that was an, uh, yet another pivot. And now we return to today's show. Yeah. I mean, you talk about internalized bigotry and um, unlearning internalized bigotry. Um, Talk about that. I think that there are places in our lives that we have internalized ideas about groups of people, about various abilities, faiths, genders, sexual orientations. These things have been passed down to us And so for me, I think it's important to to revisit things that we have been taught about others so that we can create a future of of liberation. 
so that we can create a place of allyship, so that we can replace allyship with with action. For me, I don't want to be a part of perpetuating harm, you know, in terms of, of language that I use about various communities. For me, I want to empower folks. Um, and I think so many times a lot of that is passed down. And so I think we have to look at our lives and, and look at, at places uh, where we have internalized stereotypes, stereotypes that sometimes are good and bad. I think we have to look at that because we need to realize that the human experience is, is different for each and every one of us. And we need to take individuals at face value in, in, in front of us. Uh, and not make assumptions about others. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, one of the things that I talk about um, in negotiating is that we all want to feel seen, heard, and know that we matter. I mean, that's part of being a human being. Um, If you're a human being on this planet, that's what you want. I mean, obviously, narcissists take it to the extreme. I mean, they, they only want to matter. They don't care about anybody else. Um, but that's, you know, so how can you, you know, get past um, the shame sometimes and your wounds so that you can heal enough to, um, to, 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 to like, assert your value um, in the world and go, no, this is not okay to be treated this way and, um, and, and start feeling like you have a voice. I think it, it took me many years for me to be able to do that. I think it's a process. I think it's something that you have to identify. I think everyone's path to, to healing is, is very different But for me, it was really rooted in in healing. It was rooted in self-love and in in taking care of myself. I think I also, I found it in community. I think sometimes when you are around community, I think folks can mirror. I think people can hold up a a reflection to you. But I think it, it is a journey. And for me, it was moments where I never would have thought would have been a moment of awakening. You know, for me, I think of when I was working at the, the center on Hall said my first job out of college and I was still a gender non-conforming person leaning into an opportunity. I saw a young trans girl, 16 years old, being her authentic self. And I said, she goes to school like that? <laughs> and they said, Yes. And I walked back to my desk at the end of that day and I said, I wish I could be sitting here as precious. And they said, why can't you? And the next day I came back as precious. And it was simply me leaning into a life moment. I was learning from from someone else. And so us being open to those teachable moments in life, it's the small moments. And if, if you become attuned You'll, you'll see them. And I think sometimes we miss them. Sometimes we think it's like the big aha moments, but it can be the simple moments that I think that we have moments of self-awareness and self-identity. Oh, that is so beautiful. And, and now you are married to 
uh, a man who's also trans and you have a baby. Um, tell us about that. My husband is the joy of my life along with our, our daughter, Zane. My husband and I, this August, will be married for, for five years. And our lives are really rooted in, in loving each other, celebrating our, our lives and celebrating our, our community. And yes, we have a little girl and she's, she's 18 months. And we want people to know that trans people are like everyone else. Of We have hopes, we have dreams, we have fears. Family is important to us. And we want to be loved. And being a parent has extended my reach of capacity like I never, ever knew uh, that I had. Being a, a parent uh, comes with so much sacrifice. And now I get to break so many cycles of trauma that I experienced. All of the things that I felt went wrong when I was a child I get the chance to, to course correct and to, to stop those cycles. And my, my husband has really shown me what unconditional love looks like, you know, for the first time in, in my life. And, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's, it's like comes from such a cozy place when I talk about my husband, um, but he's the joy of my life. So you are now, you know, a trailblazer, you're an activist, you're in this place and you are so living in your power. So for people who are, you know, still stuck in a place, I mean, what would your message be to them who are not where they want to be? I mean, where would you, what would you tell them to do? I would tell people to, to step out. Be bold, make bold choices, make bold decisions. There are so many times in our life we don't in our lives that we don't do things because we're 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 fearful of failing. You will fail. Yes, you will fail, but you will also succeed. And when you fail, get up. There are times in my life that I have failed miserably, but they have become the most teachable moments. For me, and that's what this book is. You know, I I moved to Chicago from Omaha, Nebraska with nothing. I had nothing. And I left on a heart and a prayer. And it was so hard, you know, moving to Chicago without any, you know, family support, you know, without any typical traditional, you know, family structure. But I leaned on my truth and my passion, and it has led me here today. And so I would say, follow your heart. Listen to your truth. It won't be easy. It will not. And people want, they, they want to hear it in a cookie cutter way. Oh, I just want to know, you know, that I'm going to succeed. You won't. <laughs> Sometimes you'll fail and that's okay too. You know, all the best stuff comes at the end of your comfort zone, right? I mean, I'm sure that next day when you went back to work as Precious and you like, it was probably so scary. Yes, Wasn't absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, ab absolutely. Because I didn't, I was like, am I going to have a job? <laughs> you know, like, well, am I still going to be able to work? And I, and I still even face challenges after that, you know, because I was the first trans woman on paid staff who worked at that center. 
And they refused to change my name in the email system for months. And I had to advocate for that. And this was even at an LGBT center. But for me, it was worth it because the next person who came after me would have an easier time. And after I left that job, because I said, I deserve to be treated with dignity at my job, I left and the the job that I got after that, I was paid like 15K more (laughs) because I left and sought out a new opportunity that would affirm me. But not only that, you ended up becoming the first trans bride on Say Yes to the Dress. And you um, now are, you just wrote this book and you're now talking about this and you are now this political thought leader. I mean, all because you made the choice to show up that next day as precious. So true, so true. To, to show up and to to listen to my intuition and... In my book, there are a lot of things that people would say, oh, I wouldn't do that. Oh, I wouldn't do that. My whole life, I've stared fear in the face and say, I don't care. Of This is what my heart is, is leading me to. And if I set my heart to do it, I am going to do it. So, it, it, you know, it really just became a series of choices. Like every day you made a choice. You know, it was like you had a choice to like go crawl into a hole and not be who you are or a choice to like stare fear in the face and go, hey, no, is it precious today or is it fear? (laughs) Absolutely. And it's been worth it at every turn. I mean, listen, there are times that it was absolutely frightening. But in the end, I feel that I, I would rather be happy. You know, like when I moved to Chicago, I had nothing. I had nothing. You know, I moved on just like a heart and a prayer. But for me, and even in in my life today, it's about my happiness. And that's what this book is about. This book is about my my truth and me being happy. And I don't want to keep perpetuating cycles of abuse, uh, you know, like I inherited and I would encourage people to, to purge those cycles from their own lives. You know, I grew up in a time where, where people say, oh, that stays in the house. What goes on here doesn't get talked about out here. That was perpetuating a, a cycle. And for me, uh, it's, it's my boldness uh, that has gotten me to where I am today. So if you had to do it all again, even with all your failures, even with all the heartache or whatever, would you do it all again? Or Absol- would you- absolutely, absolutely. I would do it. I've had such, like the life I have today is so enriched. The ways in which I see and understand the world, the ways in which I can see across lines of difference, the ways in which I'm a part of so many communities. You know, I'm from Omaha, Nebraska. I'm left-handed. I'm short. I'm biracial. I'm trans. I'm a mom. I'm a wife. Like, I belong to, like, all of these, like, multiple communities. And I feel it is it has only enriched my, my worldview. And I think it makes me a better human being for it. Uh, I love it. Awesome. Precious Brady Davis is so awesome. Where can people buy your book and follow you and learn more about you? 
People can buy my book on amazon.com. So buy the book and then leave a five-star review, please. And then folks can follow me on Instagram, Precious Brady Davis. And then they can also follow me on Twitter, uh, Ms. Precious Davis. Awesome. Go also preciousbradydavis.com. Yes, and go buy her book. I will also drop a link to it in the show notes as well. Go, and I will put your Instagram handle and everything in the show notes as well. Precious, you are amazing. And it is my honor to have gotten to know you today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for stopping by and listening to this episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung. Check back next Monday for more inspirational pearls of wisdom. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, I'd love if you would give it a five-star rating and tell me what you liked in a review on iTunes. Also, be sure to grab your winning negotiation cheat sheet at winmynegotiation.com. And remember, today is a perfect day to start negotiating your best life.